Welcome to WNL After Class, the lifelong learning podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Candler. A special welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time, and a sincere thank you to those of you who have been with us from the beginning. We have many fascinating conversations with our WNL faculty this season. If you subscribe to our WNL After Class podcast, you'll be sure to never miss an episode. Today's guest is Amanda Bauer, head of WNL's Business and Administration Department. Amanda is the Charles C. Holbrook Jr. Professor of Business Administration and joined the WNL faculty in July 2002. She teaches courses in marketing management, creative strategic planning, and also integrated marketing communications, widely known across campus as AdClass. Her research focuses on consumer perception of spokespeople in advertising, corporate social responsibility, product instructions, and product return policies. Professor Bauer is particularly interested in the relationship between the liberal arts and a business environment, emphasizing an interdisciplinary approach in her courses. She played a key role in revising WNL's business major, integrating liberal arts courses into the curriculum. She also developed WNL's AdLib conference, emphasizing the relationship between liberal arts and advertising. Amanda was the first woman to receive tenure in the department. Amanda, we are so excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I just mentioned your popular ad class, which you began teaching in 2003. What exactly is ad class? <laughs> what is this thing? <laughs> so we participate in the National Student Advertising Competition, uh, which is a, the supposed the premier advertising competition in the in the United States. We recruit students from across campus. So we try to get as you know a diversity of different majors and minors and skill sets and interests. Uh, we usually end up with between 18 and 20 different majors and minors represented in the class, and and it's not it's not just business majors plus something else. It's double majors in art history and sociology, or double majors in you know math and stratcom or something. So it's it's a real diversity of, of, of majors from across campus. What we do is we we work on a, an advertising campaign. We get a real case and a real client and we start from scratch and we come up with, you know, what we believe is a is the best campaign that we can come up with in uh, eight or weeks or something like that. <laughs> um, and so it is in the winter term. It's a four week course now. So anybody who took this class a few years ago and remembers when it was a three-week course, they've all currently went, well, finally. It is uh, highly experiential, and the students are organized in an ad agency-like structure. So they all have different kinds of responsibilities and work, at di- work on different parts at different times to, to create the overall campaign. So you mentioned that it went from three credits to four credits, and that it has 18 to 20 majors and minors. How how has it evolved since you began, other than those two things? So the first time we I taught it in winter of 23, 2003, God, what year, um, 2003. So it was my first year here, and we listed it as integrated marketing communication because that's sort of the standard way that you would list a class like this at the time. And I team taught it with somebody else who was uh, on the faculty here at that at that time and it was a normal class you know came in and did lectures and uh, and then kind of pulled together something at the end we went to the competition and we did i mean incredibly well we came in second in this really um, impressive it was it was really impressive and it was an amazing introduction to what wnl students can do 
it was an incredible experience for me to, to be able to see all that. And so over time, you know, it's, it, you, you get to the end of the year and you go, okay, what did I learn? What could be done better? How can we change? How can we improve? And so over time, it's evolved from sort of a normal class with a group project to, you know, there are multiple groups that have very specific and defined responsibilities. Those groups have, we've had multiple groups added over time. So there's, you know, people who are in charge of analytics. There are people who are in charge of just coming up with the book that we submit. There are people who are in charge of media and in charge of coming up with what the the brand strategy should be, the the ad, the ad strategy. So it's it's evolved into multiple different kinds of groups. We also now have an advisor system. So there are a select small group of students who took the class the year before are selected to serve as advisors the next the next year, and they take a class um, in leadership in a creative industry. They're learning some skills that they're then applying to the the students in the current year. So it's evolved into a sort of sort of kraken like object with lots of <laughs> arms that has to be managed but it it ends up in a situation where the students are able to take responsibility for something that is within their skill set but still reaching out to students working on other things to make connections. So it sounds like it began as a as a typical class yeah. and as an evolved into really what yeah. looks like an advertising agency yeah. and all components of what would encompass an advertising agency. To the extent that we are able to create that in, you know, winter term. In a few weeks. In a few weeks, to the extent that we're able to do that. But, you know, it's interesting because, so it started off as integrated marketing communications. We started for reasons of both affection and efficiency, started, started to call it ad class. But then what we found was it was really more like consulting, but with communication solutions. You know, a lot of what goes on in advertising is we already have a strategy, you know, like look at Geico, right? So they're still kind of running some of the same, you know, they they still have the gecko and they are still running those things. And in fact, you know, recently they brought up a new, you know, they brought up their best of, right? We started to see the cavemen again. And and that's not what this is. This is we have a very specific problem and we need uh, we need you to solve it. And so, you know, the philosophy that we take in the class and, and I say we because, you know, I, I work every year very closely with the advisors to kind of figure out how do we want to iterate? What do we want to improve? What kind of new skills do we want to make sure we have? What kind of specialties do we want to emphasize? So we really think of it as like consulting with communication solutions. And we've had we have we had a string there of a lot of students who were graduating and going and working at Deloitte or in fact I think four fifths of the advisors from last year um, are all going into consulting and the other one is backpacking across Alaska. Um, Great experience. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, so she wins. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you and your students have worked with some very large and very familiar companies over the years. Can you identify some of those companies and and would you walk us through the process of how you have your class create an advertising strategy for them? The campaigns that we get for ad class are given to us by the NSAC, the competition. And so, you know, over the years it's been Pizza Hut and Ocean Spray, Snapple, Mary Kay was a really interesting one because half the class was men. So that was, you know, there was a there was a lot of explaining of, you know, the sticky thing goes around your eye. The brushy <laughs> thing goes on your eyelashes. And so that, that was kind of interesting, but it was also incredibly valuable because there, there are a few things you have to do when you're, when you're doing advertising or anything dealing with consumers is you have to think about it 
as even if you think you're in the in the target market, you can't think that way. Like you have to have a certain level of kind of third position triangulation objectivity. Otherwise, you know, you're going to sit there and go, well, I would never like this. And it's like, Wh- well, which maybe the men did in, a, in the Mary Kay. Well, and the men, yeah, the men really offered that, you know, where they're going, well, why, you know, they were helping us question assumptions, which was incredibly valuable to say, well, why, why is it this way? Why does it have to be that way? And it was, it was incredibly valuable to come up with, with a new solution. So, you, you know, one of the, th- for, going back to the question of, of how do you, start a campaign, one of the things that we do, we start off with is we start with what are the the kind of cliches and commonalities and, you know, things that we're seeing lots and lots of in um, campaigns in, in what we're seeing with what other comp- competitors are doing. And so when it was like Snapple and, and Ocean Spray, we looked at lots and lots of advertising for, say, like fruit juice or drinks. And one of the things that we identified pretty quickly was splashes. If you look at a juice ad, you'll see splash it'll either be a you know a splash coming out of the fruit or a splash coming out of the glass or so you'll identify the splashes and so we were going okay no splashes unless we're going to make fun of them like we're going to go meta <laughs> splash or no splash like those are our two choices with the cosmetics what was really was so so interesting was when you look at the, the cliches and cosmetic ads it's always like the the cosmetic is front and center the cosmetic is is the most important thing and the woman is glamorous and sometimes you know one of the things we identified was the black background which is how you advertise godiva you know when you have this black background it's very luxurious and so we looked at these things and and it's you know the makeup the cosmetic is the is the center of your world and your beauty is the center of your world and how well you can do a smoky eye, which there's three people in the world who can do a smoky eye. And so we said, okay, what if we went in a very different direction? You know, instead of the people who watch YouTube video after YouTube video after YouTube video trying to figure out how to do a smoky eye, which give up, what we realized um, in, in the, the men who were in the, the sort of the consumer the consumer research and strategy piece of it were incredibly valuable because they they helped us get to this position of, well, you know, think about how most women put on their makeup most of the time. And it's you put on your makeup and then you get on with the rest of your day. Like I got things to do. And so I got to get my makeup on and you're checking your phone to make sure you know what time it is because you got to get the hell out of the house. And so you also have to look at the brand, right? So not just understanding consumers, not just understanding the competitors, but also understanding your brand. So when we first started looking at Mary Kay, and if you Google an image search of Mary Kay, one of the images that will show up is this older woman, Mary Kay herself. (laughs) And we... We looked at her and we thought, well, our target market's supposed to be these younger women. This is not necessarily somebody that we're going to be able to, they're going to be able to identify with. So we kind of initially thought of her as a problem. But then what we realized was she was doing this because she was in like bad marriage after bad marriage. I can't remember. It's been a couple of years. And she kind of started this company herself and figured it out, out and was very plucky. And we found, we eventually found a much younger picture of herself with her dog. And we thought that's our woman, you know, this woman who also is busy. I got to get up. I got stuff to do, you know, to question the assumptions that we were making about the brand, question the assumptions that you would maybe make about the 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 product, the category, um, identifying the cliches in the in the marketplace. It was an incredibly valuable experience. One of the things that I, that we talk about in ad class, even though it's called ad class, and even though it's technically listed in the registrar, is integrated marketing communication is I tell the students 
that the class is really about two things, that it's about creativity and teamwork, that it's about having an original idea and working with other people to develop that original idea or to foster an environment where that original idea can be born. And it just happens to be applied to advertising. And so it's a it's a constant questioning and identifying, okay, what's the box that we're in and how do we kind of work our way to a new interesting space? So Amanda, this sounds, it sounds absolutely fascinating. Is there a way that we can view the work that's been done uh, by the students and by, by your classes? So this is a good news, bad news situation. So one of the very cool things about this opportunity is that we get, end up with a lot of inside information. You know, we end up with inside sales figures or we end up with proprietary research or we end, you know, and that's all really cool, but it also means oh, we can't yeah. publish it. Yeah, understandable. So, but understandable. I mean, but it does go into their portfolio. The students are allowed to, you know, share and discuss it in their job interviews. And so, and, and it's it's a nice experience too, because the students, you know, you think about job interviews, tell me about a time you've worked with the team. Tell me about a time when you failed. And, and you know, and, and creativity and teamwork is a lot of failure, right? It's like, here's my idea. And everybody goes, that's great. Can you try this? And then you have to go back and try it again and try it again and try it again. Not from the sense of big F failure, but small I iteration, right? You know, improvement, 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 improvement. And so it gives them groundwork for doing job interviews and, and 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 sometimes you know frankly a less successful campaign can have really longer term benefits you know it's the it's the i think the pat conroy quote about people don't learn from success they right. learn from, from failure, failure right You're you just right. kind of because exactly. he was on the basketball team at bmi and no this is it at all Sorry, the other one, Citadel. And he said, you know, once we lost that season, you never want to lose the way we lost that season. So you just kind of sit and reflect of how can we not do this again? So sometimes, you know, the really successful ones, you kind of think and reflect and what can I learn to take forward, especially if you're having to reflect for job interviews. But if something is less successful, either in the eyes of the judges or even in your own eyes, um, it gives you an opportunity to reflect. And because ultimately that's the goal, right? You know, where the students are at the end of the process, right? The where the students are at the end of the process. Right. Okay. Well, that's fair, fair enough. So maybe what we'll do on our show notes is list the companies that uh, ad classes worked with over the years. Sure. Uh, that would, that would be fun to share. Sometimes companies need to change their branding. What are your thoughts about brands that are trying to overcome a negative reputation or, or change how they're perceived by a consumer? So there are a few things that are pretty cool. One is to look at what everybody else is is doing because you may be doing it too. You know, you may be chasing after, um, you may be looking and doing what everybody else is doing and, and they're doing it and you're like, well, it's working for them, I should do it too. And we see how well that worked for, you know, Sears and Kmart trying to become Walmart, that, you know, that worked like a charm. So that's the first thing is to take, take stock of what's going on in the marketplace and figure out what is everybody else doing? And then question some assumptions about what has to be done. Are those the things that have to be done? One of the things when we talk about it's creativity and teamwork, one of the models that, that I talk about in class is, so when somebody tells you to be creative, what do they tell you to do? Brainstorm. Think, think outside, think the, outside box. the box. They tell like. you to think outside the box. Well, what we do is we think inside the box. We define the box, like what are the rules? What appear to be the rules? What appear to be the philosophies? You know, so if you look at I'm um, Nike, 
And so what's in the box is it's an athlete, it's a star athlete, it's, you know, a Michael Jordan or a Tiger Woods. Sorry, I'm Gen X, you're stuck with those. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's going to be this singular superhero kind of person. You're going to throw 90 bajillion dollars at them. You too can be Michael Jordan. You too can, you know, like think like Gatorade, right? Be like Mike. So you define that box and then you define all the walls of the box, what seem to be the rules of the game. And then you take each side of that box and you start systematically thinking about, okay, do I need all of the walls on the box? Do I have to advertise on TV, which is increasingly being questioned? Or another one is to think in an opposite way. If everybody's doing this, can I do something very, very different? So if everybody is hiring the star athlete, which costs 90 bajillion dollars, and also you end up with some you know, not just the halo effect where the, you love Michael Jordan, so you'll love all the stuff he's associated with, but you can also end up with something called a horn effect, which is Tiger Woods and his various problematic mm. lifestyle choices or whatever. Also, you can go in an opposite direction. So what is the opposite of the singular star hero in athletics? It's the team. It's one way of thinking about the opposite. And so when Under Armour was coming onto the market, they said, that's the direction we're going to go into. And so they had that we must protect this house ad, which was pushing, putting them in, in a very opposite space. And it, it carves out an appeal for the group of people who did not find what Nike was doing necessarily appealing, right? Um, another thing that to think about is if, you're, if your brand is in a bad space or in a kind of a disconnected space or an unappealing space or maybe not the greatest associations. A nice example of this is Domino's. So y'all will recall a few years ago that Domino's had that ad campaign, which was, we, we know you think our pizza's terrible. <laughs> and everybody went, indeed, I do. I do think your piece is terrible. Congratulations. In the, the research is called a two-sided message, where if you admit to some flaw, then you have some credibility that I'm willing to entertain. To, so then when you tell me something else, I'm more willing to believe that too. So if you say, we know you think our pizza is terrible, or um, Excedrin did this, where they said, you know, for the aches and pains of everyday life, take Tylenol, but for headaches, you should take Excedrin, even though Excedrin is basically what? Tylenol, aspirin, and a, and a Diet Coke, yeah. I'm like, I have all those available to me. <laughs> I've got two of those right there in that bag. So it's called a two-sided message, and but there is a real power in admitting something and then people are willing to buy in. So if you think about other brands that maybe have things to overcome, you know, Cadillac keeps showing us these guys dressed like Anderson Cooper, you know, on assignment, you know, bl tight black t-shirts, driving cars really fast around the Pacific Coast Highway and, um, you know, powerful engines and all that. But when you ask somebody about, you know, what do you, like still to this day, I ask students in class, what associations do you have with Cadillac? And I get grandpa, grandma. Right. <laughs> golf, you know, and that that's not necessarily the subdivisions of things like rappers. Uh, people may have specific associations with a certain kind of Cadillac, but one possibility is, especially as my generation gets older, good Lord, um, there may be a way of leaning into the truth that everybody already knows and then using that goodwill to have more credibility as you kind of move forward out of that, out of that space. So one interesting story so um the the adlib conference that you you mentioned um we had a the keynote speaker a few years ago is a man named andrew keller 
um, he graduated from WNL in the early 90s. I want to say 92. And he was working at the agency called Crispin Porter and Bogusky that came up with that Domino's campaign. And when he was doing his his keynote, one of the things he shared with us was that that Domino's campaign was in fact inspired by the honor system at WNL, which is pretty cool. It, Very and cool. it was it was the idea that in order to have credibility, you have to be honest. And so he said, so the more honest we are, the more credibility we will have. Now, he didn't say, I woke up one day and I eureka and ran down the street, you know, <laughs> oh, I thank God for my WNL education. But more the idea of, you know, once you bake that, if you bake that into the system, right, I believe you because you're a part of a, of a, of a systematic approach to honesty. And that was baked into his system. And so he, he said that, that. And so I thought that was kind of cool. So every time you eat a Domino's pizza, just know honor that, system. Mm, yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. We talked about the fact that sometimes companies need to change their branding uh, sometimes, but are there any brands out there right now that you feel are doing things right in terms of their marketing and advertising strategies? And, and are there any campaigns that have caught your eye recently as being especially successful? So I'm going to answer that question slightly differently, which is not to talk about any one campaign, but talk about the approach that campaigns are having to take to reach consumers, which is one of my favorite things to watch now. It's an understanding of where consumers are and who consumers are and having a real respect for when and how they want to be reached. Okay. So when I was in school and I was taking all these classes and, you know, you take a media class and media is basically TV, radio, People magazine, you know, it was, there was not really like a lot of variety in terms of where and how and when you could reach consumers, you know, and there were what three networks for part of my growing up and then there were four networks for part of my growing up. And so those were the big three and everybody was watching the same shows. And um, and now we have this very sort of long tail situation where people are on lots of different places. They're in lots of different ways. The ways that we can... So basically what I'm saying is my favorite campaigns now are anything that use media in a really original and interesting way. Those are my favorite. And those tend to not necessarily be the campaigns, but just sort of individual executions. I think those are so, so cool. And those can be newer media. So things that are on like Twitter. So Wendy's has that National Roast Day where they invite brands and say, you know, put your name up here and invite, you know, to roast me. You have Oreos and Toyota and, you know, and they come up and they go roast me. And so Wendy's just roasts them. So they said um, uh, Oreos, the one they gave to Oreos was something like, hey, about that new flavor. No, you know, because Oreos <laughs> is coming out with all these new flavors. Or, you know, uh, Toyota, they said, this is the Toyota Camry of tweets. It's very reliable, but nobody's really excited about it. Um, oh it's just gosh. cold and dark. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, so the those things are kind of cool. Or so media is anything that you experience, anything that you encounter. And so things like stovetop stuffing. They took over bus benches or bus. I don't know. I'm from the south. And what they did was they put heaters in them. 
it so you looked up and it looked like an oven so it, you're in chicago and it's november or january or something and you're in this heated bus bench that looks like a warm right so what you're doing is oh my so, gosh. so it goes back to the think inside the box approach where you go okay what are all the walls okay one of the walls for stovetop is it's like warm and cozy and comforting and you know all that you know halloween that's the next example thanksgiving and so how do we take that wall of that box and really lean into it? How do we create the warmness? And so creating the engagement and underlining something and you create the environment. So it feels kind of warm. There's another one. And this one is thinking in opposite ways, which is when you think of Halloween and you think of trick or treating, you go you go from house to house. There was I want to. Oh, gosh, I want to. It was a candy brand. Oh, I'm totally blanking on it. It's the candies. They look like M&Ms, but they're not. They're sour. Skittles. Skittles. I think it's the Skittles, <laughs> um, which has this very much this brand thing. So what they did was they came up with, instead of you going from house to house, they put a house on wheels and had the house go from you to you. So they put it on wheels and they drove it around to groups of people and stopped and handed out candy with like this monster hand coming out of it. Those are the kinds of campaigns I think are really, um, especially as we are becoming micro targets, especially as we are not quite so uniform. I don't know that we ever were uniform. I do think there was a social reinforcement that we become uniform but now we are freer to dye our hair purple or you know listen to some obscure brand i mean if you think about digital media on on amazon or apple you know music or movies or whatever it is theoretically infinite right you just keep adding servers and servers and servers so you can watch anything and if you're the only person who downloaded that song all year it can still live on a server these kind of smaller, more creative, more innovative ways of coming up with media, I think is really, those are the things that I get really excited about. All right. So, so you touched on this in, in your answer to the last question, but are there any future trends in marketing and advertising that we should be on the lookout for or, or any new ways of engaging consumers that may not be immediately obvious to the layperson? I, th- I think the best way to think about that is to have two things, to be willing to be creative, online, at least three things, <laughs> to the willingness to be creative, to have a tremendous amount of humility in that you may end up trying things that don't work or offended somebody. You know, maybe they were incredibly well-intentioned, but they maybe offended somebody. You went out and you tried something and you're like, oop, nope, 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 that didn't work. And, and with this idea of creativity, kind of seeing things with new eyes, you know, like recognizing media. So recognizing everything that it, that the consumer comes in contact with is a possible way or a place to communicate wherever that is. If it's a seat back on an airplane, if it's the floor, if it's the, the tread in the treadmill, uh, when you go running. I love this example. So Gold's Gym was trying to think about how do we get people to, re- you, know, you know that moment where you go, oh man, I got to get to the gym. Like when you hike up this hill from the parking right. lot and you get to the top of the hill and you're like, oh man, I got to go to the gym or just hike this hill again. So they wanted people to have that moment. Oh, I got to get people, I, I got to get to the gym. You define that question for yourself and then you have your eyes open as you go around. And so what they did was, you know, when you check out at the grocery store or Target or whatever, and they have those little plastic bars that you put between your stuff and mm-hmm. their stuff. Okay. So what they did was they took that thing and they made it weigh like 15 pounds. So when you reached over to pick this thing, which normally <laughs> weighs an ounce, and you pick it up, you'd be like, oh my gosh, why is this thing so heavy? I got to get to the gym. So the, the humility, 
to, if you tried something, to not just double down and triple down, but to go, okay, maybe that's not working, but also the willingness to kind of define problems in a creative way and then being open-eyed to where the possibilities might lie. So we've talked a lot about advertising. Mm-hmm. And you've said that even though you spend so much time teaching about advertising and even serving as associate editor for the Journal of Advertising, that it's hard to define exactly what advertising is these days. And, and that's apparent from you know your last description. <laughs> yeah. what, did, what did you mean by that? So the technical definition is something like any paid form of communication. So... You know, when you hear in politics, when they say, you know, paid for by the committee to realize yada, yada. And so that's that's advertising. But the things that participate in a larger strategic communication, you know, integrated marketing communication, you know, whether that's PR. I mean, there was no social media when I was in school. So it's just it's become so diversified in, um, you know, things like pop up shops or April Fool's Day jokes that are PR, you know, where you're like, we're going to come out with bacon flavored yogurt or something. You know, there's so many things that are that are PR or that are social media or that are influencers or and so there are a lot of things that don't necessarily fall into what we consider to be a category of what is technically considered to be advertising. You know, and the other thing that I think is is really interesting is that we used to think about advertising as being you were sort of filling predetermined spots. Uh, okay, we're going to have print and we're going to have an ad in People Magazine or Sports Illustrated and we're going to have an ad, you know, we're going to have ads during TV during 60 Minutes and then we're going to have ads on radio and we're going to have, you know, you had these kind of predetermined spaces that you woke up and you started filling. And now we don't think about it that way. Now it's like the the line actually from Crispin Porter and McGusky when they were pitching the Mini Cooper campaign was, we want to think about how to make this brand famous. And one of the definitions that I give my students in ad class is that um, advertising is, in, is not in the advertising business. Advertising should be in the business changing business. And so however you create that, however you change that business, however you get that product launched, however you reposition the brand, that's what really matters. And so what falls into that category may fall into a 1990 definition of advertising, or it may be Snapchat. So, so who knows? Evolving. Who the hell knows? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So I'd like to, to go back and talk more about WNL and our students. And WNL is different from many other liberal arts colleges in that it has a nationally accredited undergraduate business school. I'm curious as to what benefits a liberal arts education has for a business student. And and if you're a student who is interested in pursuing business upon graduation, why not completely immerse yourself in business classes? One thing that's interesting is is when you look at what's going on, what goes on the website for Debbie and Allen, it says, you know, we're the only top liberal arts institution that has an accredited business school. And sometimes I hear about how the business department benefit or the business education that we have, you know, us, accounting, economics, you know, how we benefit the university by existing. Um, And the way you asked the question, I really like because it is how do our students benefit from being in a liberal arts environment? So I had a student a few years ago who said to me, he was head of ad class um, that year. Uh, Yeah. And no, he was the 
the, so the, the way the the way ad class works is you have somebody who is the second in command their first year and then they they run the thing the second year. So his first year he, you know, was second in command and he got to hear all of my things about, you know, here's why it's so important that we have liberal arts. Here's why it's so important. And he, and he had an internship that summer with an, an agency out in St. Louis. And then he came back and he said, oh, I get it now. Oh, I totally get why you're talking about how important the liberal arts are in a business environment. And he said because he was working with other interns and all these interns could do was they, they could only talk in buzzwords. They could only talk in textbook language. Basically, the index of a textbook in advertising was all they knew. Struggle to think creatively, struggle to make connections, struggle to connect with what was going on in larger society. And he said, and I get it now. So advertising and then you pull out a little bit bigger marketing, and then you pull out a lot bigger business, they all only exist in culture and society. That's the only place that they exist. They, they are a function of society. That is, that is where they exist. And so they, it's important that you be able to understand people. You know, one of the things you teach pretty early on in, in any kind of strategy class is you teach the pestle variable. So you, you, you tell people, if you're going to come up with strategy, you've got to understand what's going on politically, what's going on environmentally, what's going on socially, technologically, ethically, uh, legally, I'm forgetting an E, uh, oh, economically. And you, you need to understand all of the, you know, so you need to understand the soup that you're in and socially. So that means that you need to understand what's going on with people. Where did this come from? And you can get that from English, you know, where if you study literature, one of the purposes of studying literature is empathy. So you can start putting your yourself in the space of somebody who's not necessarily you, who's a target market. How are they going to react that way? I mean, a nice example of this, actually, and I say this as a white woman, is the Juneteenth. So all this Juneteenth stuff that marketers tried to, to recently do, it did not go so well. You know, Walmart came out with an ice cream and yeah, and it was Juneteenth ice cream, and it was their own brand of great value, Juneteenth ice cream. And people were like, uh, you're being really opportunistic. You're being tone deaf. Meanwhile, Walmart carries an ice cream called, I think, Creamalicious. They, it has a, a, a black woman entrepreneur who developed it. Maybe they should have worked with her, you know. So you have to have an understanding of the culture in which you're functioning in order to be able to execute. And so and I think, you know, you were asking before, what did I what do I think is coming up in the future? And I think that's one of the things that we have to be humble about is that, you know, maybe I I don't understand what it's like to be an 18 year old guy. So like my daughter, who's 18 years old, constantly tells me, oh, you can tell this was, you know, this copy was written by a boomer because it's supposed to be something that Gen Z likes, and, <laughs> you know. So, you know, that you have to have the voices of, of big D and small D diversity so that you can be more effective in the, in the marketplace. I'd like to go back to ad class for a moment. What feedback have you received from students about how ad class has influenced the way they view advertising? It's not just ad class. It's it's really, I think, any marketing class, any any marketing related class, I should say. So um, it's a little bit like a magician's trick. 
you know, once you know how the trick is done, you kind of see how the trick is done and you're like, oh, I totally get what they're doing now. So, you know, so for example, for anybody who's listening to this, start paying attention to when a brand comes out and does the opposite. You know, McDonald's, uh, McDonald's uh, Coca-Cola, sorry, another red brand. Um, so when Coca-Cola comes out, you know, they're, they kind of tend to lean into the Americanness and the fishing with your grandpa kind of brand. And then you look at what, what Pepsi did, which was they came out and, you know, there were there was not really a lot they could go. They're both Southern brands. But so what Pepsi did was they said, OK, if that's like fishing with your grandpa, Pepsi is going to be be young, have fun, drink Pepsi, which is why they usually sponsored the Super Bowl halftime show and hired Britney or Beyonce or whoever so that they could be young. So, you know, Coke is old and Pepsi's young. Um, and so. It's it's most the students complain that it kind of ruins television watching for them. Oh, they used to complain. I don't know if anybody is watching. Now they're all just watching TikTok. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is fair because I mean, me too. Um, so it 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 is a little bit like, oh, I, I now know I can just see the man behind the curtain perpetually that I, I understand what they're doing and I understand what the brands are. And it doesn't mean that it it ruins the whole thing for them, because sometimes you'll run into a brand that is still for you. Like you still like that brand, you know? I mean, people can say whatever they want about Starbucks, you know? Oh, they burn the beans. I don't care. I don't even really like coffee. I like warm milkshakes that keep me awake. Off we go, you know? And and so it's a brand that I feel like is, I'm happy with it. People keep telling me, Diet Coke, it's gonna kill you. I'm like, not yet, hasn't. <laughs> Whatever damage it was gonna do, it has done it long ago. <laughs> chug, chug, chug. So, so like that, that ad campaign that Diet Coke had a few years ago about like celebrating moms, you know, where they, they had that insight of your mom grew up in the eighties drinking Diet Coke and, you know, and look how awesome she is. I cannot tell you the number of students and my children who sent that to me. And I was like, that is just a gorgeous, gorgeous insight of understanding the role of a product in the life of consumers. Yeah. When, when they were doing Taylor Swift, I'm not so much in that target market, but moms breezing themselves in the 80s and 90s on Diet Coke. That's my. Well, when you talked about peeling back that that curtain just a yeah. little bit, it's like, you know, you you almost feel like you could think something like, gee, I want to. I I want to buy a pair of red suede shoes. Right. And then all of a sudden you're on social media and you see the ad pop up. Right. So it's almost like they're, they're mind reading and, and it yeah. does ruin it for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, some of those, some of those algorithms are a little wonky. You know, you go and you're like, I need a vacuum cleaner. So you go and you look at a vacuum cleaner and then for the next six weeks, Amazon's right. like, you bought this vacuum cleaner. Would you like to look at these other seven? And you're like, no, thanks. I'm good. Just the <laughs> just one. one. Just the just one. Just one vacuum cleaner. I'm excellent on just the one. Yeah. Sometimes that retargeting doesn't work so great. So we talked about feedback that you received from students yeah. um, on, on ad class and how that influenced the way they viewed advertising. Would you say that there is any difference in the feedback that you receive from business majors versus non-business majors? So one time in my spring term class, in the previous version of, of, a, of a spring term class, it, it attracted a lot of non-business majors as well. And I, I almost hesitate to, to tell this story. This is, this is many years ago, 12 something, like a long time ago. That version of that class I taught as like a seminar. And so the last day we sat around and I said, okay, so what was the number one thing that you learned from this, this experience? You know, because we were applying some uh, qualitative 
we were learning qualitative data collection kinds of techniques and it was so cool. So I think that was the year we did Vicks VapoRub. We did Vicks. It was so cool. <laughs> it was so cool because what we did, y'all feel free to bleep this, but it came out in the, it was the word that we kept seeing. So you'd go around and you interview people and you'd be like, okay, so Vicks VapoRub, you know, and so we'd interview, what do you, or we'd have them do like collages, like what pictures do you associate with Vicks VapoRub? And the thing that kept coming out when they would interview, so you have them make a collage, what are all the things that remind you of Vicks VapoRub or Vicks, just Vicks, like the Vicks brand. And so they were coming out with it and then you interview them. What does this picture mean? What does this picture mean? And the thing we kept hearing over and over again was the phrase kicks my ass or kicks it at its ass. Like that was the specific phrase that we heard over and over again. Either this cold is kicking my ass or this or uh, Vix will kick its ass or it was just over and over and over again. And we were like, OK, um, that phrase was really interesting, right, because it's violent, right? The cold is being violent to me. The, I mean, we've all had NyQuil, right? Uh, it's pretty violent, <laughs> you know? I mean, that flavor, you know, the don't make any plans thing. Uh, you know, I hope you're sitting down while you take it. The Vicks VapoRub has, you know, it has action. They always have the, like, the little squiggly lines in, the, in their ads. And it was a really interesting application that, that people were seeing this kind of violence. It was leading us to an insight, which we thought was really pretty interesting. And so the last day, I had a psychology major in there. And so I was going, you know, what was the biggest thing you learned? And some people really like the, the the qualitative data techniques or, you know, how you kind of question the assumptions of you start research by starting with a survey monkey or whatever. And this one student said to me, I learned my major wasn't a waste of time. My minor in my PhD program was, in fact, social psychology. My whole dissertation was basically social psychology. Like, Everything that we're doing in business is an application of something in social psychology or sociology or uh, queuing theory or, you know, logistics is is pulling from a different, you know, it's just everything that we're doing is pulled from somewhere else. And I guess this student was worried about, you know, what kind of job can I have? And actually, I had this conversation with my daughter the other day. She's like, what do you do with this? And I was like, oh, my Lord, everything. You do everything with it. On the other hand, I think some of his business majors pick the business major because they're like, I want a job. I'm going to get a job. What would get me a job? I'm a, a job major, <laughs> something that's very <laughs> myopic. And I, I want job, get job, have job. Business is job. I think it goes both ways. It's having the students who are business majors start to realize the value of the rest of their liberal arts education and having the students who are liberal arts majors suddenly realizing I'm an English major just as I'm reading a text and reading between the lines. That skill is incredibly transferable to reading and understanding what consumers are saying. Like, what what are consumers saying that they don't understand that they're saying? So, I mean, everybody's out there getting a job. So it's they're, it's all valuable. They're just all valuable in different ways. So before we wrap up our conversation, we're going to move into what we call our lightning round, which nice. is just a, a few a few quick questions. So, what is your all time favorite advertising campaign, and why? Okay, so my Gen X is very much going to show right now. It's the the old Absolute campaign. Oh, describe that. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. For for everybody who, okay. who he is, it's it's uh, it's Jim Goodwin, our technical <laughs> producer. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So um, yeah. Okay. So uh, it's 
Google absolute Google okay. image right. absolute campaign. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll Google I'll, image I'll, it. I'll put okay. the link in our, so, in our yeah. show notes. Okay, so I went to college in the late eighties, early I graduated in ninety one. I love this campaign. It is basically they take the bottle, the the shape of the absolute bottle, which is iconic, and then they function within a space. They it's it's the bottle does something or and then they have absolute fill in the blank. Oh, I do remember yeah. that. Yeah. So absolute Chicago yeah. or absolute Windy or absolute Maryland or absolute computer or absolute right so and they and they did it for so when Helen Gurley Brown retired as the uh, editor of Cosmopolitan they had an absolute Gurley Brown um, they did one specifically for her they did one absolute New Yorker in the style of their they did absolute Playboy where they printed like a trifold and the bottle had no writing on it <laughs> gold right there um I saved them and they were all up on my wall in college and my parents would come and look at my dorm room and shake their head sadly. I'm like, no, 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 it's marketing. It's marketing. <laughs> it's marketing. So, you know, actually this whole PhD in marketing and career marketing is really just a long con to calm my parents down. I And I and one of the reasons I, I love it in retrospect is because is it is functioning within a box. They put themselves in the box. They say, okay, we can only have it has to be the bottle. It has to be the shape. It has to be absolute fill in the blank. They did absolute magic where you you opened it up and it turned out it was like a cutout and it was missing. I mean, they had, and so they had to be incredibly inventive within a box. I think your ideas, when you stick yourself in a box, are so much more creative than if you just blue sky it. Um, anybody who's ever watched Project Runway or one of those shows where they go, you can only do this as opposed to your dream idea. The dream ideas are never interesting. It's always the, you have to make an outfit. Out of toilet paper. Out of toilet yeah. paper and or <laughs> the insides of a Saturn, you know. So those were really cool. And I, if they ever brought it back, I don't know if they ever if they ever would, but if they did, I would love to see how they would do it from media standpoint, you know, original kind of creative media standpoints. I think it would be very cool. Very cool. I agree. On the flip side, when you're providing examples of really bad advertising ideas in class, what examples do you use? <laughs> so I have this one ad that I use in class, and I tell the students, like, you can come back here in 20 years, I'm going to still use it. It's still going to be here. This is going to be the ad. I call it the fat muffin ad. And so it's an ad of a family, you know, are you? it's in the morning and they're all trying to get out of the house. And it's like a mom and a dad and twins and like three older sisters, and like a little kid. And they're all going, are we ready to go? Are we ready to go? I fed muffin. And I'm ready to go. I fed muffin and I'm ready to go. I'm fed muffin and I'm ready to go. And then you hear like whatever music and you look and then you hear like a dog collar jangling and you look and it's this enormously fat dog that's waddled into the picture and you look at this enormously, enormously fat dog. And so then I pause the ad and I ask the students, what do you think this ad is for? And, you know, and we're like everything from, you know, a family organizer, birth control, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, automatic dog feeder, you know, lots of things, right? And uh, diet dog food is another one that they go, because. And the idea is like a, a product, a product and a brand, you need to know what role it fills in your in your target market's life. You have to know what the point of it is. What what role does it serve? Does it make me feel good about myself? Does it make my, you know, is it solving like a really kind of technical problem? You know, like pop sockets on the back of phones, hope you hold it, help prop it up, right? You have to understand, but they also have images on them, so they're really self-expressive. 
Um, and the ad is for a breakfast cereal. Which, right, exactly. Makes no sense at all. It's it's for a breakfast cereal. And he goes, do you need a better way to start your day? And so it's this woman eating a breakfast cereal. And she's like, all oh, placidly, oh, I'm eating my breakfast cereal. And I'm like, girl, you don't have time for that. <laughs> you, What are you doing? Even if it were breakfast bars, that would be a little bit better. You know, I mean, that's how a lot of us clean up from breakfast. We like we wipe our lap off as we get out of the car. Do you remember what breakfast cereal it was? Fruit Harvest. I believe. I don't Is know. There's still. A I, well, I mean, not based on their advertising. <laughs> <laughs> didn't accomplish anything. All right, that's fair. So, so I talk about it because you have to understand the role it, a product or a brand really a brand because cereal is not hard to make. I mean, cereal is a commodity. It is not hard to freeze dry fruit and make it into a flake. Like it's just not. I mean, most things that we have nowadays, I mean, you remember this big dramatic lawsuit between Samsung and Apple on who owned rounded rectangle. I mean, a big knockdown drag out about owning a a rounded rectangle shape. And finally a judge was like, yeah, whatever. Y'all can all own it. And Apple was like, but we're the only ones. No, everybody owns rounded <laughs> rectangles. They're a commodity. So it really, it's it's product, but it's a lot about the brand. Like what role does this product play in your life? And it doesn't solve a problem. If anything, it makes it worse. This woman does not have time <laughs> to be eaten like a joyful, peaceful cereal. By herself, by the way. It's like, what'd you do with the rest of your family? Like, you came back? What the hell happened? Yeah. Oh. What do you enjoy doing when you're not on campus? Um... So eating breakfast cereal. Yeah, eating breakfast cereal. <laughs> Actually, I do like a good breakfast cereal. <laughs> Actually, seals of breakfast cereal and um, slices of cheese went up during the pandemic because we were all home and everybody's like, I cannot eat another slice of sourdough. Like, just cannot. So everybody started eating more cereal because they were like tired no, of sourdough. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. And actually, the thing that grew the most during the early stages of the pandemic was not uh, pure Purell, which you think it would be, it was actually oat milk grew the most. Why Bec- oat milk? Because we were all eating cereal and has a longer shelf life and is shelf stable. So you, you know, cause freezers sold out. So people couldn't keep all this stuff cold. And so oat milk actually skyrocketed in sales. What do I do when I'm not here? Um, <laughs> I, you talk a lot about Cereal yeah. and um, cereal. Yeah, talk about cereal. We currently have foster kittens in the house, so I'm doing a lot of foster kittens. Well, thank you for coming to campus today and tearing yourself away My, from your the foster baby kitties. Kittens. I know. I was a little worried. I was not going to get here on time because they, you know, they're kittens and they needed. They're very cute. If anybody needs a kitten, <laughs> um, well, maybe we'll post that on the show. Post that too. on the show. Here's the link to the kitties. Right. Um, the past couple of years have been really busy. My daughter graduated from high school, looking to colleges. She's going to liberal arts school, by the way. You know, going to my son's basketball stuff. It's it, yeah. in the car a lot. Well, and I'm a department head, so yeah. busy. <laughs> you're busy. So when you're on campus, though, what brings you the most joy? Small group meetings with students, I think. There's a, a space in the the basement of, of whole camp, um, and depending on what age your listeners are if they're my age it's where you got your chicken sandwiches <laughs> it's in the it's basement the of the co-op correct co-op. Yeah. yeah it's in the basement of the co-op we, we took it over um the the basement of it and it's got like a long whiteboard that fills one whole long hallway and um we go down there like an ad class and just start 
you know, brainstorming of ideas. We fill it in. It's um, asking them questions about what they've done, what they've found, what they've learned, where they're stuck. I think those are my favorite moments. I've been known to like literally jump up and down um, doing that, you know, coming up with good original ideas because eventually they're not going to be here and they're not going to be with me. And they're, you know, we're, we're in an era where it's no longer an information delivery system. Like that's not what education is anymore. It's preparing students to be able to come up with original ideas when you're not there anymore. It sounded kind of grim, but, you know, what's really exciting is we're going to be building new buildings. We're no longer going to be in the vitamin D deprived basement of whole camp. <laughs> um, we're going to have really interactive space that's going to support that kind of kind of environment that that's you know small group big ideas kinds of kinds of spaces and it's it's so that's my favorite I think my favorite thing to do. So working with um small groups of students brings you joy. What inspires you? Probably <laughs> this might not be the best answer in the world, but reflecting reflecting on how things were done and thinking about how they can be improved and thinking about opportunities and possibilities. You know, and sometimes those are negative things, right? Sometimes those are things of, oh man, this was done to me and I never want anybody to have to experience that. Again, you know, either in college or graduate school or, you know, on the interstate. But I, I think also things that were done for you and benefited you or how people stood up for you or intervened for you. It, to say, what is it, be the change you want to see in the world. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not that dramatic, but oh, whatever small so version sure. of that. Although yeah. I did see a version of it the other day, which is be the drama you want to see in the world. I was like, <laughs> I get behind that too. <laughs> you know, actually 100% get behind that. But just, you know, thinking about, I mean, I've been here I mean, I just finished my 20th year here and so, and and I had, you know, a lot of life before that. And so to be able to say, what have I observed? How how can we really lean into our strengths and advocate for our students? I think that's really exciting. Well, speaking of students, I know that prospective students sometimes listen to our podcast. Yeah. If you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, goodness. So my daughter just went through this. So for my daughter, for her, I wanted her to find her people. I think, I think that's really important to find people that you trust, to find people that you can brainstorm with, find people that you can work with. It's, it's just so important to find your, I think it's so important to find your people, yeah. you know, that you can be in a class with, that you can do group projects with because you, nobody works by themselves. Stephen King doesn't work by himself. I mean, you know, his name on there, but he has to, you know, he has editors and he's got, you know, so, I mean, and I have spent so much time with, you know, the advisors in ad class or listening in, you know, on group projects and, um, and working with groups and, and knowing what my own department is is like and finding people that you have common values with and common priorities with. I, I don't mean big V values. I mean small V values, you know, that, you know, like like one of the things that we've been working as we are hiring so much in our department is finding people who also understand that this is not just a small business department. This is a small business department embedded in a liberal arts institution. I mean, and that's, that's the, f the first question when we interview candidates. So if job candidates are listening to this. Here's a little inside story. We, um, the first question we ask is why WNL? And if they don't answer a certain part of it in that question, 
The next question is, why do you want to teach in a liberal arts environment? That's the, that's the second question. And so, so finding your people, I think it helps develop you. It will make your experience better. It'll make your education better. It'll make your study abroad better. Um, it'll make you better. Um, you'll have people that you trust to give you feedback on the things that you're doing well and the things that you have opportunities to improve on. So when you're looking at schools, I mean, that's that's what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, great advice. Well, on the flip side, if you had to give that a piece of advice to a WNL senior who is about to embark on their life after WNL, what would it be? Find your people. Um, <laughs> keep your people. <laughs> keep your people. Uh, yeah, keep your people. Um, oh, I oh, I've got a good one. Okay, so and if these women are listening, they'll know who they are. So. Several years ago, I had I had two women, and one of whom was a business major, and the other one was I I want to say a stratcom and sociology double major. And they they took out a class, and they were going to be advisors the next year. One of whom was going to be the head of it, and they had an internship. So it's not quite your question, but it it fits. So they had this internship at a not quite an ad agency, but definitely in the in the in the field. It's more of a, like a influencer kind of agency. And they walked in and and the, the business major woman, she said, I'm a little worried about this because I'm not a marketing major. I'm not an advertising major. I don't have the depth of knowledge. I don't have that full index of an advertising textbook memorized yet. And the other woman looked at her and said, you think that's bad? I'm not even a business major. You know, I don't even have a business textbook memorized yet. So she they were really worried. And then, but because they were so good at listening to feedback and not getting discouraged and iterations and improvement and thinking about creative ideas and working with other people. And, you know, they are able to present on their feet very, very quickly that a lot of the things that we really, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things in the business, I mean, in, in the liberal arts environment that we say, you know, critical thinking, creative thinking, but also even transferable skills, you know, the, able to, the ability to read between texts, the ability to understand what's going on in the cultural soup in which business lives, stews. Um, they were the only ones at the end of the, of the, the summer who were asked to stay on they were hired to continue their their project wow. throughout the course of the year because they were the only ones who could do all of those things right um, what a great example yeah and i mean they were they were able to do to do those things so i would say believe in your education and not just you know, you know, when you look at a resume and it's like, here are my relevant coursework. I took managerial finance and I took this and I took this, but except, except there are so many other things that you learned while you were here that are transferable. You know, the ability to get up and give a, you know, a spontaneous talk, the ability to take feedback and, and do it again. Um, the, you know, the iterative work that you've done. I mean, all of those things are just so, so valuable and transfer. Yeah. That is a great way to end our podcast yeah, thank yeah. you so much for being with us today amanda <laughs> i appreciate it yeah yeah you're welcome absolutely and thanks to all of you who have tuned in to listen we hope you'll visit our website wlu.edu lifelong where you can find out more on today's topic as well as truly great selection of wnl after class discussions covering everything from 15th century florence to the genetics of black widow spider silk to the science of smell. Take a look and until next time, let's remain together, not unmindful of the future. <laughs>